Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. to that question. This show has obtained exclusively evidence that Bank of America, the second largest bank in the country with more than 60 million customers, is actively but secretly engaged in the hunt for extremists in cooperation with the government. Bank of America is, without the knowledge or the consent of its customers, sharing private information with federal law enforcement agencies. Bank of America effectively is acting as an intelligence agency, but they're not telling you about it. In the days after the January 6th riot at the Capitol, Bank of America went through its own customers' financial and transaction records, a lot of them. Now, these were the private records of Americans who had committed no crime, people who, as far as we know, had absolutely nothing to do with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. But at the request of federal investigators, Bank of America searched its databases looking for people who fit a specific profile. Here's what that profile was, and we are quoting. Customers confirmed as transacting, either through bank account, debit card, or credit card, purchases in Washington, D.C. between January 5th and January 6th. Number two, purchases made for hotels, Airbnb, RSVPs in Washington, Virginia, or Maryland after January 6th. Number three, any purchase of weapons or at a weapons-related merchant between January 7th and their upcoming suspected stay in the D.C. area around Inauguration Day. And four, airline-related purchases since January 6th, end quote. So what do you notice about that profile? Well, the first thing you notice is that it's remarkably broad. Any purchases of anything in the city of Washington, D.C., any overnight stay anywhere in the three-state area that spans hundreds of miles, any purchase, not simply of legal firearms, but instead anything bought from a, quote, weapons-related merchant, T-shirts included. And then any airline-related purchases, not just flights to Washington, flights to anywhere, to Omaha, to Thailand. That is a very, very wide net, an absurdly wide net. Bank of America identified a total of 211 customers who met these, quote, thresholds of interest. And it was at that point, the show has learned, Bank of America turned over the results of its internal scan to federal authorities, apparently without notifying the customers who were being spied upon. Federal investigators then interviewed at least one of these unsuspecting people. And that person, we've learned, hadn't done anything wrong and in the end was cleared. Imagine if you were that person. The FBI hauls you in for questioning in a terror investigation, not because you've done anything suspicious. You haven't. You bought plane tickets and visited your country's capital. You thought you could do that. You thought it was your country. Now they're sweating you because your bank, which you trust with your most private information, 
information of everything you buy has ratted you out to the feds without telling you, without your knowledge. Because Bank of America did that, you are being treated like a member of Al-Qaeda. What country is this? It doesn't matter how much you despise Donald Trump or how much you believe that hatred of Trump justifies suspending this country's ancient civil liberties. Going through that experience would scare the hell out of you. Absolutely. A terror suspect, you would think? Does anyone else know about this? Is there a record of this interview while I lose my job because of it? That actually happened to someone. It's hard to believe it, but it did. We asked Bank of America about this. They confirmed it actually happened by not denying it. Here is their statement in full, which manages to make the whole thing even creepier, assuming that's possible. Quote, we don't comment on our communications with law enforcement. Well, apparently not. All banks, it continues, have responsibilities under federal law to cooperate with law enforcement inquiries in full compliance with the law. End quote. Now, the last part, from a lawyer's perspective, is the essence. In full compliance with the law. It's the law. We had no choice. But that's not true. Bank of America did have a choice. The bank could have resisted turning over information on its innocent customers to federal investigators. But Bank of America did not do that. Nor is it clear, if we're going to be precise about it, that what Bank of America did is even legal. It turns out it's not simple. It's a gray area. We spoke to a number of lawyers about this today. Some of them told us that what Bank of America did might in fact not be legal and could in fact be challenged in court. One knowledgeable attorney pointed us to 12 U.S.C. 3403. That's a federal law that allows banks to tip off the feds to any information that, quote, may be relevant to a possible violation of any statute or regulation. Now, the DOJ instructs federal agents to remind banks of that law. And of course, they do with maximum aggression. But the question is, legally, what constitutes information that may be relevant to a possible crime? Buying a muffin in Washington, D.C. on January 5th? Does that make you a potential domestic extremist? According to Bank of America, yes. Yes, it does. This is the moment when, for the sake of our country and our grandchildren who will live here, we need to pause and breathe deeply, searching for wisdom, avoiding hysteria, and ask, what are the rules? What for God's sake? The Biden administration has already said they'll make concessions, but 600 billion is a lifetime away from where the Biden administration clearly says we need we need to be. Are we holding President Biden to an unfair standard saying, I thought you were going to go unity when we are not saying that to any Republican? You not only have great intellectual capacity, you have great personal courage. I've been with some of you when we've been shot at. I've been with some of you when we've been in places that question if I could sorry about the uh, president's comments last night as he was paying his respects to the FBI agents that lost their lives or were injured um, he said by and large the vast majority of these men and women are decent honorable people uh, what did he mean by that the vast majority part that's exactly what he meant and welcome back to flyover politic podcast it is hell I should check that ahead of time six. February, Year of Our Lord, 2021. That's a good intro, intro, isn't it? That primer pretty much sets you up. So we have major companies working without warrants, just turning in anybody that could be possibly Trumpers, just send their data in. 
We have NBC saying that we're holding Biden to an unfair standard, yet all facts and evidence are there is no standard. He can do anything or do nothing. He's God. We have Biden lying that he was shot at. Hello, Hillary Clinton. And FBI, a vast majority are good people. We always say that on the left. I mean, if there's two things that are constants about most of my podcasts, you're going to see that the left fucking hates police, law enforcement, and is working very hard to make this a very dangerous country so you'll rely on the government. They're going to disarm you, and they hate the military. Plenty of the military's got a white supremacy problem, and the military's got this and that. But a good show today. We're going to go through the AOC kerfluffle. I have a great montage of about 14 minutes of people in a safe space about how bad it was to be attacked on January 6th, even though they weren't attacked. My coverage of the last AOC is I don't believe any of it. Wanted to research a little more because I know I am a white supremacist because I have a beard and wear camouflage. I'm a seditionist because I don't believe the 81 million. I mean, I believe Biden's president, but I don't believe 81 million people voted for him. I am insurrectionist because I'm not clutching pearls over what happened on the 6th because the more and more we see it, this is a fucking joke. It's all a fucking joke right now. They're just making something out of it so they have a boogeyman. And I'm an unintelligent voter because I don't vote for Democrats and believe in 99 pronouns and a bitch is not one. But I've been to Washington seven times lobbying. The Capitol is not the Hart Building or the Cannon Building or the building where you're actually at if you're a senator. That's not what was attacked. But you can't tell that. And we'll have a lot of fun mocking that. To the Tucker thing, you know, we're going to kind of build up to it because there's an amazing article that came out that just shows that they don't give a fuck. That they're proud they rigged an election. You know, the rigging of election, even if you're a deep, deep, deep person other than me, you know, I, I just say the numbers are off. The odds of Trump winning were very slim because it was rigged. I mean, every form of media was working against Trump. He didn't have a chance. It was for four years. And then there's a large preponderance of fucking evidence to show conservatives were working against him. I mean, everybody wanted to lose. That's why it's so easy for people to believe that the election was stolen through Dominion machines and all this other stuff. How would you not believe that when all they've done for four years is try to get him out of office? We're on the second impeachment. He's not even in office. Everything was a scandal. His election till the day he left office on MSDNC and CNN wasn't legal. He didn't actually get elected president. It was stolen by Putin. Conservatives believe that. So why would you not think by any means necessary they would do it? Because they've been doing any means necessary to get them out of office. But they brag about it. But I want to set the table as we listen to all this stuff. And I cover this every time it comes out. Because what they're building is a country that is unsafe. 
nation's largest city suffered 30% increase in homicides in 2020. But what's the first thing out of the gate? Democrats introduced gun control bill, psych evaluation, ammo bans, federal gun registry. Now it's H.R. 127. States that this purpose is to provide for the licensing of firearm, ammunition possession, and the registration of firearms to prohibit the possession of certain ammunition. The bill calls for the U.S. Attorney General to establish a licensing and registration system to the Bureau of ATF, which would increase the federal government's ability to monitor gun owners' purchases and the location of their firearms by requiring them to inform the government of the make, model, and serial number of the firearms that they own, and adds that the firearm owner must tell the government where the firearm is or will be stored in order to obtain a license. Individuals must also complete at least 24 hours of training. Individuals can be stripped of their license and must get their license renewed. The bill states that the information collected in the registration will be provided to all federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies, also the U.S. military. In order to obtain a license to possess a firearm, an individual will need to be at least 21 years old, and in addition to undergoing a background check, would require that the individual undergo a psychological evaluation, which could potentially involve other members of the household in which the individual resides. Under the bill, a person could have their constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms stripped from them if they've been hospitalized with a wide range of psychiatric disorders, including depression. Because remember, all the military is fucking supremacist. All the military is extremists. Remember, we're doing a stand down in the military right now Rooting out the extremism. And by the military's military's definitions, make America great is a white supremacist statement. Once again, not a Trumper. But I don't think we'd ever say hope and change was bad. But it was for America. It got us BLM and $3 billion of ruined cities. 600 cops injured. Untold Americans murdered. Three dozen cops murdered. But that was a good thing. Sponsored by everybody. But this this directly goes to them. I went in for depression. Saw a doctor four times. Was never hospitalized. Wasn't diagnosed with anything. But they'll dig through my record. They'll find a way why I can't have a weapon. Because I don't vote the way they want. According to the Anxiety and Depression Associated Americans, 17 million Americans suffer for it. So they won't have the right to have a gun. The bill also bans ammunition that is 50 caliber or larger and bans people from being able to possess magazines that are able to hold greater than 10 rounds of ammo. The bill also forces people to pay an $800 fee to the government that ensures them against liability for losses and damages resulting from the use of any firearm by the person during the one-year period that begin with the date the policy is issued. Lee has been criticized in the past for demonstrating a lack of understanding. She doesn't know what an AR-15 is. She's like Biden. She thinks it's an AR-14. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So what they're going to do 
is because they know they can't legislate it out. They're going to push you out because all these fees will kill you. You'll have to pay for your psychological review. You'll have to pay for this. You'll have to pay for that. And you'll have to pay under one of them because there's multiple. I mean, you got 5717, which is going to take all the guns away. He wants to go over the National Firearms Act and say ARs are machine guns. And now she wants you to pay for insurance. Even though I've already gone through background checks, I've already gone through training, I have a concealed carry permit. I don't even know how many magazines I have for my AR that are over 10 rounds. The fucking thing comes with a magazine over 10 rounds. But I won't be able to possess that. For the record... I don't know of 10 round fucking AR magazines. The smallest is 20. But this is how they're going to do it. They're going to legislate around the fact that they can't do what they want to do. And they're going to come with all these legislations that are all coincide and accomplish that you won't be able to afford to own a gun. So CNN in their, you know, because they're real news, Mr. President. Gun sales in January set a new Capitol record after Capitol Hill insurrection. Does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe that? Gun sales started surging when you unleashed your brown shirts, Antifa and BLM. That's when people started going crazy. That's why we had the highest background checks ever. And the only person talking about this that I've seen... Greg Abbott, Texas must fight federal overreach. Biden showing extreme hostility to my state. He is showing it to every state. And with the confluence of Google, Apple, fucking uh, Amazon, all this big tech, B of A, Even if you're a never-Trumper, I want you to listen to this. If you voted for Biden because you thought he was the greatest guy ever, I want you to listen to this article. Democracy equals Democrats. Time lauds anti-Trump conspiracy to save the 2020 election. Time Magazine turned a lot of heads on Friday with the story headline, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. The story below is by Molly Ball. She is an extremist that used to be on MSDNC. She was even too extremist for them, and they took her off. Confirms what that suggests. Trump lost, so the election and democracy were saved. Many on the social media flocked to the part about how a coalition of Trump-hating groups didn't rig the election They were fortifying it. This is the inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election. This is directly from the story. Based on access to the group's inner workings, never before seen documents and interviews with dozens of those involved from across the political spectrum, it is the story of an unprecedented, creative, and determined campaign whose success also revealed how close the nation came to disaster. Every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the election was defeated, says Ian Bassett, co-founder of Protect Democracy, a nonpartisan rule of 
law advocacy group. But it's massively important for the country to understand that it didn't happen accidentally. The system didn't work magically. Democracy is not self-executing. That's why the participants want the secret history of 2020 election told. Even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scene to influence perceptions, change the rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election, they were fortifying it, and they believe the public needs to understand the system fragility in order to understand that democracy in America endures. Once again, the media shamelessly declares that electing Democrats and saving elections are the same thing. The Ian Basson quote here is pitch perfect in describing the media's self-image. Democracy doesn't work magically. It doesn't save itself. We've got to fortify it by being biased. And it's typically hilarious that Ball touts Biden's Project Democracy as nonpartisan when you can see on their website the co-founders are Basson, Associate Counsel from 2009 to 11 in the Obama White House, Justin Florence, who also worked at the Obama-Biden leading team, and Senior Counsel Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat. Ball touted how the AFL-CIO and the Chamber of Commerce offered a joint statement on Election Day in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. She also celebrates how operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from the remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. The election had to be saved from the president. What was saved here was the election results Times so desperately wanted in 2016 when they posted two covers with Trump's face melting the second one into a puddle. When the people follow the careful instructions of liberal reporter, democracy saved. When the people elect media bashers, then the system doesn't work magically. People's responses to this. I'm sorry, what? The biggest thing people are, are going on this is this statement right here. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and help secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. A well-funded cabal of powerful people changing rules and laws to steer media coverage. I know you may hate Trump out there, but how can you think this is good? Further on the article, the first task was overhauling America's bulky election infrastructure in the middle of a pandemic. For the thousands of local, mostly nonpartisan officials who administer election, the most urgent need was money. They needed protective equipment like masks, gloves, and sanitation. They needed to pay for postcards, letting people know they could vote absentee or in some states to mail in every vote. They needed additional staff. In March, activists appealed to Congress to steer COVID relief money to election administration. Led by the Leadership Conference and Civil Human Rights, more than 150 organizations signed a letter to every member of Congress seeking $12 billion in election funding. It was somewhat successful. The CARES Act, passed later that month, contained $400 million in grants to state election administrators, but the need French tranches of relief funding didn't add to that number. It wasn't going to be enough. So others helped. 
other things. Even though it sounds like a fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people... It's its repeating itself. Sorry, I thought it was another cutout. Pre-shaped Chakur put it in there. Knew this would be spelled out as legitimate as soon as the smoke cleared. It seems like I remember somebody famous with a blue check mark getting censored and finally banned from here for tweeting the same. Wealthy establishment elites know what's best for the rest of us. See, they saved us all. They're straight up bragging about it. The thing... The thing I think we're going to have to stress here is that as far as I understand from a brief review of the piece, nothing illegal, even particularly untoward, happened. The equivalent, I guess, would be if the GOP had dozens of coke-type groups working to get them elected, which is the key point. So big business, all the media, cajoled laws, so anybody can just mail in a ballot whether they were supposed to or not. That's what I got out of the article. Democracy. Then they're running things like this. A new study confirms lockdowns were a major factor in destroying the economy during the COVID pandemic. The entire world goes, but I thought that was Trump. So as this is breaking, we have B of A without warrants, violating the Fourth Amendment, we have groups bragging they rigged the election so that Biden would win by steering money to just certain groups to get their voters out. Breaking first dog news. Flotus will appear in video with Champ and Major to air during Sunday's Puppy Bowl. Softballs and adoration. Read the questions reporters have asked Biden press secretary. Thanks, Jen. First off, congratulations. One question about your role. You touched on this a little bit at the top, but when you are up there, do you see yourself, your primary role is promoting the interests of the president? Let me ask you on policy, if I can quickly. You talk, obviously, your role is sort of in terms of delivering the best information to the American people on behalf of the White House. The battle for truth may be a tough fight right now as a battle against coronavirus. How do you and President Biden plan to combat disinformation? Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you for doing this on a daily basis again. And then, could you just give us some color about what it was like for him going into the Oval Office? On a lighter note, will he keep Donald Trump's Air Force One color screen? Jen, just one quick one before we let you go. Just follow up on Peter's question. Does President Biden believe that President Trump needs to be held accountable for the insurrection? January 21st. Dr. Fauci, you joked a couple times today already about the difference that you feel in being kind of a spokesperson for this issue in the administration versus the previous one. Can you talk to us a little bit? Ha, 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 ha. I mean, were you basically banished? And just to change in gears a quick second, COVID and the negotiations on Capitol Hill. How long is the president willing to pursue bipartisanship? The 22nd. Are the tools and methods available to federal law enforcement? Are they what we need right now? Are we still stuck in sort of post-9-11 mindset? And does that need to be really broad, radical rethinking about how we sort of approach things at federal law enforcement? If I could follow up with you on what you said about COVID yesterday. You said your goal is a million shots per day, that whole thing. Yeah, welcome back. Can I ask what happened to the Churchill bust? January 25th. Thanks, Jen. Acknowledge the confusion and lack of clarity about the vaccine availability. Give us a sense of just how stunning the revolution is. 
January 26th. Ambassador Rice, thank you. You speak about communities of color right now that are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Of course, they're also less inclined to have the faith in the federal government response to the vaccine. So what specifically, and I'll follow up with others, but what specifically is being done right now for communities of color? Thanks, Jen. Thank you, Ambassador. These measures are an executive action, which, of course, would overturn and reverse by future presidents. Can you talk about the steps can be taken to codify these, make these permanent forever? Thanks, Jen, on the 27th. Does the White House have a comment on the social media profile of Majority Taylor Green? Speaker Pelosi said on the 29th, I believe it was yesterday, that she feels a threat are coming from the inside of the White House. We played it on the show. This goes on for pages to pages to pages. And then they run this. Now, I doubt even the most avid never-Trumper or the most Biden-centric person who's pissed off that they haven't got their 2000 because they found out they're not getting 2000 They're only getting 1400 So the freebies are getting lowered every second. 61% of Americans say Biden's off to a good start. In the poll, 16% of Republicans think that. 16 Those are the 16 that hated Trump and are really more Democrat than Republican. How could you ever think anything he's done? 50 executive actions are good for America. If you're a purist, how? How? That's not leading. That's not governance. That's dictatorship. And then we know Hunter Biden's out there. We know there was a laptop. We know the media suppressed it. We know Twitter suppressed it. We know the Federal Bureau of Investigation sat on it for 18 months. Just like Hillary's and Wieners and our laws, Democrats do whatever. Fuck you, conservatives. AP hyping Hunter Biden's new memoir. Then Pew comes out. Public sees black people, women, gays, and lesbians gaining influence in Biden era. Half of America says evangelical Christians will lose influence, but he is the most religious president we've ever had. Harris back bail fund freed rioter twice. He's now charged with three new felonies. Not a report on it. Daily Caller Foundation and other groups have found that even though only one Antifa BLM member has been arrested for the riots, it was executed like every other BLM event. They literally incited it and bailed. Graphic evidence. They did the same thing they did all summer. They pour the fuel, they get somebody else to light the match. If you haven't watched the Fox section by that lady, and my brain's locking right now, um, what the fuck is her name? Laura Logan. You need to, because those are good people. And then this comes out. Now, remember the history Of our border policies. Obama put kids in cages. Nobody reported on it except for PBS. There was no outrage. 
Then they find out Trump's doing it. They put the same pictures of Obama's kids in cages and then get caught doing it and remove it. And we now call them prying them from their mother's arms and putting kids in cages. It's not the American way. So Biden comes in and it's one of the first things he addresses. We are going to get rid of that shame. So this week, the media establishment who rigged the election to save democracy. Biden administration prepares to open overflow facility for migrant children. Because they're finding it's the same thing. These kids aren't coming with their parents. They don't have any other relatives there to meet them. They're getting moved up with human coyotes, not the dogs, you liberal idiots. And they got no place to hand them because they don't know if they're part of sex trade. They don't know what they are. But we're not calling them kids in cages. We're calling them overflow facilities. But I'm supposed to believe everything the New York Times and WAPO puts out in CNN. And if I don't listen to those sources, I'm an insurrectionist. I'm a seditionist. I'm part of the alt-right. This is really a great prepper thread before we go into our AOC. Matt Stroller, glorious. Changes in U.S. total audience watching weekday primetime cable news. Down 42, 44, 44, down 9. Everybody's down except for Fox News. Bob Sullivan, it was always about the ratings. Wait, can someone explain this? Am I missing something? I think the idea is that CNN helped create the modern monster that is Trump by giving him infinite coverage. Now they there's nothing to cover. They're suffering. Not sure enough. It's not sure, though. I haven't really watched any cable news in years. Glenn Greenwald. Again, those who hated Trump most flamboyantly and monogamously, especially on TV, were the ones whose careers and bank accounts benefited from him. Here's what is starting to happen to them now, and he's done, and why they're desperate in search of a replacement. People forgot that in 2014 and 15, almost nobody was watching MSNBC and CNN. So many of their hosts were on the verge of being fired. Their shows are canceled. Trump single-handedly saved their career. Fear keeps people clinging to those shows, and they squeeze them for all of it. The only hope for these networks is to convince viewers America's on the verge of civil war, an existential threat to democracy. That's why it's so vital to call a few hundred people at the Capitol an insurrection or coup almost toppled Earth's most militarized country. Replies, exactly, media needs division to get viewers. Clearly had no plan post-Trump. Who will these media ghouls rush against next? Any idea? They need some sort of replacement to Trump, right? The replacement is white supremacy. The replacement is what you predicted. A massive moral panic against right-wing and white supremacist terrorism. Maybe they will turn their attention to domestic extremism. I've said it all along. It's like a drug for the TDS suffering brunch libs. They're now going without their fix, so it comes to methadone. Taylor Green. 
Taylor Green's an idiot. But as we go through this, hold on. I'll bring it up on the next screen. Let's start with Seltzer. There is, up in the sky, information pollution. And the polluters are trying to deflect blame. Dishonest cries of censorship are filling Fox's airwaves, with charges that these guys, right here, are being suppressed. The word censorship's been invoked almost 400 times on Fox this month alone, and more than 300 times on Newsmax. You know, post-insurrection, a book publisher decided that it did not want to be in business with Senator Josh Hawley. So he's been on a national TV tour claiming he's muzzled. Now, I want to start with that, and I cut it down. It's like four and a half minutes long. That's their shtick. There's disinformation. There's lies out there. America's divided because of Fox News and its lies. Once again, I don't watch Fox News. I watch Tucker Carlson, that's it. I don't watch cable news anymore. They ruined it. During the Obama years, I used to be a a morning Joe guy. But then Joe starts sticking his dick in Mika, and that was the end of that. He became a liberal. I used to watch the evening when it was Hannity and Combs. That was a good show. You had both sides. I was a guy who wanted both sides. But you don't get both sides. You don't get both sides from Fox. You don't get both sides from CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, and PBS. I'm going to tell you right now, if you watch CBS morning and evening, it is now the Democrat network. Everything is linked to intersectionality. And Nora O'Donnell has taken a rather benign show in the evening and turned it into DNC Power Hour. And don't even get me started on Meet the Press. Face the nation. This week. It's all lib all the time. It was that way in Obama. People just didn't notice it because you saw conservatives come on. Now they don't come on. Because the reality is everything is skewed left. This map right here is once again what I'm proving. The attack was there. Let me do it this way. Boom. Capital. Capital. This is their buildings. It's not even close. They're not in the same hemisphere. But because they need a boogeyman, and they needed something post-Trump, and because a lot of conservatives went along with it, that what happened on the 6th was the worst thing that ever happened to our country when we had a summer of violence, just a fucking summer of violence that was a hundred times worse that even as we speak federal courthouses and ICE facilities are being attacked by Antifa nightly and there's no news coverage we have now the disinformation that AOC was assaulted that Tlaib was assaulted, that they all were, and it's a fucking lie. When all of a sudden I hear that whoever was trying to get inside got into my office. Um, and then I realize that it's too late, that it's too late for me to get into the closet. And so I... 
I go back in and I, I hide back in, um, in the bathroom behind the door. And then I just start to hear these yells of, where is she? Where is she? And I just thought to myself, they got inside. And so I hide behind my door like this, like I'm here and the bathroom door starts going like this, like the bathroom door is behind me or rather in front of me. And I'm like this and the door hinges right now, and I close the door and I just keep hearing these bang, bang, bang. The trauma of the Capitol attack is still raw for many on the Hill. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez relived hiding in her office bathroom. I mean, I thought I was going to die. Speaking to more than 150,000 watching on Instagram Live, AOC also revealed she's a sexual assault survivor and criticized the push from the right to move on after the violence. These folks who tell us to move on, that it's not a big deal, that we should forget what's happened, or even telling us to apologize, um, these are the same tactics of abusers. Where is she? Where is she? I mean, I thought I was going to die. When she came out of the bathroom, she found a Capitol Police officer. She and a staffer eventually barricading themselves inside a fellow congresswoman's office. Oh, it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. At no time during this coverage do we talk about how she accused Ted Cruz of murdering her. And then they bring her on CBS News. She lies again about how much she was assaulted and how hard it was. And I have PT fucking SD now. And this picture you're looking at is the actual picture from the FBI complaint against Viking Man. Do you see the naked dude on the wall? It's a meme. They're taking pictures off the internet, and that's went with the complaint of him being in the in the in the fucking building. And we played it. I'm not saying what he did was great. I'm not saying storming the Capitol's great. I'm not supporting the action. I'm saying, other than a few people, the hundreds that stormed did nothing compared to what happened all summer, and we financed it. Big business, Harris, the DNC financed. $4 billion of damage, 600 officers injured, 36 killed, untold Americans assaulted. We financed and allowed citizens to get beat because they wore red fucking baseball caps. We didn't pearl clutch when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot up a baseball field. We blame Trump. But our Federal Bureau of Investigation that downplayed Hillary, didn't do Wiener, ignored Hunter, that's the photo. Right here. That fucking photo with the naked dude is what they submit. And now articles from CNN, they can't get murder charges. They're having a hard time. The only murder was the Air Force female who got shot in the face by the fucking police unarmed. And once again, no outrage, no even articles. 
The only article I've seen is how Trump deranged a great gal. Trump deranged her. The action of January 6th is abhorrent. But to equate it to this level of lies while you're talking about how we have so much disinformation, this whole interview is disinformation. I'm live appearance this week. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talked about hiding from the assault on the Capitol. And I'm like this, and the door hinges right here. And I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. Boy, ahead we'll talk with Ocasio-Cortez and fellow Democratic Congressman Jason Crow about the riot and its aftermath only on CBS This Morning. You also shared for the first time, Congresswoman, um, your experience with sexual assault. Why did you decide to share it with us? Because it's very painful, certainly, and very private. Congresswoman, I want to start with you, because that day, I remember it was so upsetting and so frightening, just watching from the privacy and safety of, in my kitchen. So to hear your very terrifying account of that horrible day was, in a word, just terrifying to hear the details. And I wonder if it's triggered all sorts of things for you, because I think sometimes when you speak about it, you're reliving it again. I'm wondering what the experience has been for you. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that we've learned, especially in um, in counseling services offered to House members, is that telling our stories and retelling it, especially right after um, the events transpired, is a really important part to healing and um, and getting through it. And so once we tell that story, and this applies to survivors of trauma all over the country, telling that story as many times as possible and giving that account, allowing yourself to move through that emotion, allowing yourself to revisit that fear and process it and then move past it is important. But yeah, there there are lots of emotions. There's fear. There's anger. There are so many angles of disinformation on this. A, that she said that these guys were, a cop was threatening her and she wouldn't listen to a policeman to that she was in fear of her life, to I have PTSD. Breaking 911, just in. That's not a conservative Twitter handle. AOC was not in the U.S. Capitol building during her near-death experience. She claims to have been in her office, which is located in the Cannon Building. Rioters did not breach the Cannon Building. AOC, this is the latest manipulative take on the right. They're manipulating the facts that most people don't know the layout of the Capitol complex. We were all in the Capitol complex. The attack was just on the dome. The bombs Trump supporters planted surrounded our office too. People are trying to rush and infiltrate our office buildings. The attempt of attackers of public available communications show how they tried to gain access to share locations and blah, 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 blah. Ellen Carmichael, pretty obvious for anyone who was working on the Hill. Complex is connected by underground tunnels. I'm not going to say it wasn't a scary experience. I was scared to death for my friends working on the hill, but the idea that she was specially targeted and interact with people who wanted her dead would require them to breach the cannon. Fact check, Jack Probasek. AOC was not in the Capitol building. Fact check again, 
pictures of the Capitol building. AOC was not inside the Capitol building during the breach. AOC responds as manipulative. Multiple people have said she's full of shit. She's lying. Insurrections, insurrectionists never stormed our hallway. Representative Nancy Mace. Let, let's look at Nancy Mace. Who is Nancy Mace? Charleston. Is she a Democrat? I'm pretty sure she's a Democrat. Nancy Mace. Let's find out because I should have checked this before and I didn't. Nope, she's a Republican. Republican. She's in the same hall. Okay? Here's her take. AOC made clear she didn't know who was at their door. Breathlessly attempts by media to fan fictitious news. Flames are dangerous. My office is two doors down. Insurrectionist never stormed our hallway. Egregious doesn't even begin to cover it. If there's nothing... Is there nothing MSM won't politicize? We just checked the Newsweek for the story, but it reads a little differently now. AOC said that an individually actually entered her office, forcing her to take refuge inside her bathroom. Now they're changing their stories. Hallie Bird Wilt. A lot of viewers of this segment are going to come away from it believing a random member of the mob broke into Congresswoman AOC's office where she was in there, even though she said during her IG Live that the man was a Capitol Hill police officer. The Today Show appears to have deleted its tweet with the video of their segment about this. This all happened before CBS had an interview with her. And they just conveniently ignored it all. Remember, that's not disinformation. That's democracy. A lot of viewers, it's okay, she already came out repeating herself. Ben Smith, a lot of quietly deleted tweets today over the details in AOC's story that she thought she was hiding from the mob, but it turned out the Capitol Police, she told us she experienced it. Uh, I don't know, you don't know my story, Nancy Mace. AOC, this is where the true damage of what Nancy Mace is doing comes in. Listen to this tweet. How many survivors are watching her? who now seeing her won't get care or will feel further shamed or silenced, who won't speak up because they know there are voices in leadership ready to minimize their experiences. Still the victim. She was born of being a victim, and now she stays forever a victim. Nancy Mace. But now, in typical AOC fashion, you're making this political, even going as far as saying, I don't hear victims of assault. Me, of all people. You don't know my story. Shake my head. Just stop it. Nancy Mace revealed that she was raped at 16. She said that story to make South Carolina Republicans keep rape and insects exemption and fetal heartbeat bill. The World Senate to AOC, she never retracted. Methinks EAOC is realizing her exaggerated account has liability for her and is trying to change the subject. Thomas Crescenzi, as usual, the angry, obnoxious a congressman, congresswoman, doesn't know when to just shut the fuck up. She doesn't. Gad Saad. 
When AOC is proclaiming about her harrowing brush with death on January 6th, it's definitely not a grotesque form of organic collective monchinism. There should be a global national day of remembrance to honor her heroism. Her intellect is only matched by her courage. Judge a woman by her enemies, they say. Ilian Omar tries to dogpile Nancy Mace. The definition of the enemy within is members who pose a threat to other members is not a reckless statement. We literally have members who harassed Rashida Tlaib and I tried to force us to swear on a Bible and held gun over our head in campaign ads. Get it together, Nancy Mace. The world, you're reprehensible, Nancy Mace. Oh, hi, Representative Omar. Last time we spoke, I was calling you out for your anti-Israel nonsense. Good to be reacquainted. Judge a woman by her enemies. They say, good for fucking her. But it gets worse. And of course, our media, who's really worried about misinformation, CNN, MSDNC, they aired all this safe space, group therapy, lying. Thinking, if they touch these doors, If they hit these doors, the way they hit that door, if they hit these doors and come anywhere near my staff, and I'm just going to be real honest about it, my thought process was, we banging to the end. I'm not letting them take out my people, and you're not taking me out. We've come too far. So, Madam Speaker, St. Louis and I rise with a message for our Republican colleagues. On January 6th, I thought about January 3rd and I thought about how we all raised our right hands up and took an oath, each and every one of us. On this very floor, we swore that we would support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Even though that Constitution wasn't written for people who look like me, even that Constitution wasn't written by people who look like me, and even though that Constitution cemented an unjust nation for people like me. My team and I got to work and we unveiled legislation to investigate and expel those who were responsible for inciting this attack so that we could defend it because we have a duty to fight for a more perfect union because we cannot stand up to white supremacy in this, because if we cannot stand up to white supremacy in this moment as representatives, then why did you run for office in the first place? No matter what district you represent, no matter where you live, no matter Democrat or Republican, you represent a district that is on average about 700,000 people, meaning you have to resent those who love you, those who despise you, those who voted for you, those who swear they'll never cast a vote for you, people who talk like you and people who don't look like you. Building better communities, building better lives, building a better society. It's not a Democratic or Republican issue. We can't build a better society if members are too scared to stand up and act to reject the white supremacist attack that happened right before our eyes. How can we trust that you will address the suffering that white supremacy causes on a day-to-day basis in the shadows if you can't even address the white supremacy that happens right in front of you in your house? Does your silence speak to your agreement is the question. 
In St. Louis, the COVID-19 pandemic is disproportionately hospitalizing and killing black and brown people. Well, I've lived that. We have people dying from gun violence, a crisis that stems from decades of economic disinvestment and disruption over, from an over-reliance on policing that is that this very chamber has continually voted to endorse. I've cried those tears. You don't know what that's like. So I ask you today, take a moment to think about what it's like to live what we live through. If you cannot do what's right in the face of blatant, heinous, vile, white supremacist attack like the one we just saw, how will you do right by the black and brown people you represent who just want to know that our children will have safety, that our children will have life, and that they will have shelter because you represent us too. So on January 3rd, we stood together to swear our oath to office to the Constitution. We swore to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, it was attacked by a domestic enemy called white supremacy, and we must stand together now, today, to uphold that oath and hold every single person who helped incite it accountable. Thank you, and I yield back. Rising generations of Americans, uh, including my own daughters, uh, to dream bigger and to do better. I want to thank you. And I want to start my remarks by addressing those who have belittled, dismissed, minimized, or criticized anyone who has experienced trauma of any type, at any time, in any form. To you, I say I take pity on you, and I say shame on you. I was in this very room on January 6th when the insurrection began. I was one of 20 colleagues up in the gallery, just over my shoulder, who had to take cover behind our seats on the floor and struggled to activate our gas masks. The whizzing sounds, the collective whizzing sounds in this room of which none of us will ever forget. We know the sound of the breaking glass, of the screams, and of the furniture being moved in front of the doors. We know the feeling of being trapped in this room and believing that being taken hostage may be the best case scenario. We know what it feels like searching for something, anything, with which to defend ourselves and realizing a pencil is about all we had. And we know what it feels like thinking that it's a real possibility that we would not see our families and loved ones again. We won't forget. We won't forget. But I'm not here this evening to seek sympathy or just to tell my story. Rather, to make a public apology for recognizing that we were sitting ducks in this room as the chamber was about to be breached. I screamed to my colleagues to follow me, to follow me across the aisle to the Republican side of the chamber so that we could blend in, so that we could blend in. For I felt that the insurrectionists who were trying to break down the doors right here would spare us if they simply mistook us for Republicans. But within moments, I recognized that blending in was not an option available to my colleagues of color. So I'm here tonight to say to my brothers and sisters in Congress and all around our country, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For I had never understood, really understood, what privilege really means.
It took a violent mob of insurrectionists and a lightning bolt moment in this very room. But now I know, believe me, I really know. But I want to close with an invitation, a hopeful invitation at that, to everybody watching or listening. Whether you experienced January 6th right here in this room, whether you were barricaded in an office across the street, or whether, like most Americans, you experienced it through a television screen. Please do not allow that day to change you for the worse. Rather, please find something in it to improve yourself, to improve our country. Thank you so much to my colleague for her incredible courage. I asked her to go last because I get... Um, because this is so personal. This is so hard because, as many of my colleagues know, my closest colleagues know, on my very first day of orientation, I got my first death threat. It was a serious one. They took me aside. The FBI had to go to the gentleman's home. I didn't even get sworn in yet when someone wanted me dead for just existing. More came later, uglier, more violent. One celebrating and writing the New Zealand massacre and hoping that more would come. Another mentioning my dear son, Adam. <laughs> mentioning him by name. Each one paralyzed me each time. So what happened on January 6th, all I could do was thank Allah that I wasn't here. I felt overwhelming relief. And I feel bad for Alexandria, so many of my colleagues that were here. But as I saw it, I thought to myself, thank God, I am not there. I saw the images that they didn't get to see until later. My team and I decided at that point, we'd keep the death threats away. Coverage of all this stupidity. Tom Elliott, as expected, CBS used this interview exclusively to attack Republicans, not once questioning AOC to embellish her story. Journalism was carefully avoided. Alexandra Ocasio-Smollett trended on Twitter until they suppressed the Twitter twin, twinned, Twitter twinned. The ratio here, how embarrassing for Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Number four trend in the USA, political trending, AOC Smollett. Number three, number two, number one. Let's get it to number one. Number one here, how long before Jack yanks it from trending? Oh man, AOC Smollett is trending right now after everyone is finding out that AOC was not inside the Capitol. Black lady. AOC tried to make the Capitol riots about herself and the heifer wasn't even in the building. That's why we call her Smollett. RBE pundit. The building AOC it was in on January 6th wasn't breached or targeted by rioters. AOC was never in fucking harm. Dr. Max Nordis, someone at Twitter is about to receive an angry phone call from Sandy in the Cannon building. And, of course, it, it fucking got ganked.
Kyle Kashtiv, do not retweet this video. Alexander Ocasio-Smollett, AOC when Ted Cruz sneezes in the halls of Congress. <laughs> it's a picture of a baby. <laughs> Candace Owens, on the day in which Alexander Smollett is trending, please never forget the time that AOC staged a photo shoot dressed all in white at a parking lot to spread lies about immigrant children in cages. Faking her attempted murder was the next logical step, which, by the way, they never have addressed that they're doing the very same thing. She's not taking pictures. Then she has a meltdown. Jack Probosek breaking AOC just emailed her followers to mass report everyone who tweeted AOC Smollett today. So Twitter and Facebook will take down any post criticizing or fact-checking her. Is that a stretch? No, I'll read it exactly. What they forget is that conservatives get on Twitter or get on mailing list just so they can do it. Here, here is it actually is. Scan your social media to find posts with the misleading information, especially those using the trending hashtag. Don't tweet any hashtags yourself because we don't want to spread them further. Identify any posts that are threatening or harassing and use the built-in report feature to flag them for moderators. Facebook and Twitter both have built-in tools for reporting posts and tweets that break the rules. And you wonder why Twitter only shuts down conservatives. But they're not violent, biased. And why you told you that. Just take it at face value. This is what complete meltdown looks like. Really, the Twitterverse, the woke army is marching for Mordor. Somebody wake up Hicks. My gosh, AOC threatening to report people who tweet Alexander Ocasio-Smollett. See, this is why it's all just bad faith. They're using insurrectionists with the help of conservatives to label everybody that disagrees with them. You're all seditionists. Snope rages at bad faith smears, factually noting AOC wasn't in the Capitol building. Uh, it's under- understandable that famous socialist AOC would be terrified when pro-Trump rioters were raging at the Capitol. But AOC backers in the fact-checker community are fiercely editorializing on her behalf and putting the facts somewhere in the background. They weren't going to check on AOC's charge that Ted Cruz was trying to get me killed. They're going to defend her. Snopes went big at the top of their homepage. Did AOC exaggerate the danger she was in during Capitol Riot? AOC was targeted with another round of bad faith smears after giving an emotional first-hand account of her experience during the Capitol riot. What's true? AOC wasn't in the Capitol building where the House and Senate chambers are located. What's false? When the attack on the Capitol began, AOC was in her congressional office, which is located in a network of buildings immediately surrounding the Capitol, and her building was one of the two buildings that were evacuated. But then a Palma didn't calmly check facts. She wrote like she was trying out for HuffPo. In a circus of cyberbullying that the left is famous for. That's her cyberbullying. Sending her masses to go find people that used a hashtag and try to get them censored. 
But that's not bullying. That began on February 3rd, conservative news outlets and social media conspiracy trolls latched on to the misleading claim that AOC wasn't in the Capitol building and therefore was not in harm's way, as she has described in Instagram video. Examples include the Red State blog headline, AOC wasn't even in the Capitol building during a near-death experience, and the following tweets from Daily Wire website. Ben Shapiro. This is weird. Fact checks with Snopes. I mean, that they say that what's true is exactly what the DW tweet says. Then they call the DW tweet misleading, almost as though they're just a left-wing spin outlet. And that tweet, I've read at least six times in four years. From Ben Shapiro. Same thing. Same thing. This Snopes fact check of AOC wasn't even the capital during the riot is one for the record books. Another article. Snopes let the mass slip on its already apparent political bias as it takes on the right-wing misinformation machine. It took less than 48 hours for the right-wing disinformation machine to contrive a way to minimize AOC and what she said about her lived experience. But what's even worse... During all this misinformation that's truth to the left and the mainstream media, they brought these people in to talk about violence. Their party is destroyed. Uh, Their base now is conspiracy theorists. It's cowards. It's opportunists. It's grifters. And sadly... Um, they're becoming the Looney Tunes. Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar joined All In with Chris Hayes Wednesday, where she weighed in on the current state of the Republican Party after past statements made by Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene recently emerged. In the past, Greene has made inflammatory statements about 9-11 and school shootings and said that California wildfires were started by a space laser controlled by Jews. While Greene is currently being celebrated among much of the House GOP, Omar believes it would be wise to take things in the other direction. They can decide not to turn the key over, um, the key of their party over to this conspiracy theorist, uh, white supremacist, violent and dangerous member of Congress. Um, They can hold her accountable. While Green's past comments have garnered condemnation from some Republicans, Omar believes that's just scratching the surface. It is going to be a long road uh, because, you know, these are the children that are born out of a white supremacist movement uh, that has taken over the base of the Republican Party. And given that some Republican voters feel comfortable displaying racist and anti-Semitic symbolism in public, Omar wonders if GOP leadership will do what it takes to rid the party of such ideology. Wait and see if they are willing to do the hard work um, of, uh, you know, dealing with this awful, um, toxic, really deadly. Uh. But I have to say the most vile defense of Green I saw today came from Republicans in Fox News, which repeatedly tried to equate her with Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, including this comment from Bill Hemmer. What she's doing yeah, is might, of a whole different be, cattle of one fish. One might be weird and kooky, Josh. The other is seen as racist. Hmm, let's see, one wants Medicare for all, and the other thinks a Jewish space laser starts wildfires. 
Seriously, what's wrong with you? There's no equivalence, and any attempt to create one is disgusting and racist. Green has refused to apologize, despite sharing anti-Muslim and anti-Semitic posts, questioning whether a plane really crashed into the Pentagon on 9-11, suggesting the school shootings were fake, that Nancy Pelosi should be executed, that Barack Obama is a secret Muslim, that Muslims shouldn't be allowed to serve at all in the government. And once again, that a Jewish space laser starts wildfires. That's way beyond weird and kooky. She's not a member of the Adams family, unless Uncle Fester believed that a Jewish space laser starts wildfire. She's not your crunchy aunt who's into Reiki and crystals and sews birds onto all her sweaters. Before we sit down for Thanksgiving dinner, allow me to sage the room and cleanse our auras. Namaste. Connie, your boob is out. Aunt Connie, your boobs it's in the casserole. This is the bad faith bull that right-wing media is full of because they have nothing else. It's a movement that is fully radicalized against pluralistic, multiracial democracy. Joining me now is Congresswoman Maxine Waters of California, chair of the House Financial Services Committee. And Congresswoman, um, it's always weird to talk with you, but I, want, I specifically want to talk to you today because you have been where AOC is. As somebody who's been obsessively attacked by the right, vilified, treated to sexism and racism, because you've been an active activist member of Congress since you've been there. We're, we're watching you now uh, back in the 1990s, you know, after the insurrections in Los Angeles. Can you just tell us how you feel hearing somebody like Alexandria, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tell that harrowing story and also your own experience having to be in that Capitol on 1-6. Well, thank you so much, Joy. As I listened to AOC, uh, my heart went out to her uh, because I know what she was experiencing. Recall this clip of Maxine Waters, one of the top Democrats in Congress back in 2018. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. And so, yes, we are threatened, but we can't back up. We've got to fight as hard as we can uh, to see to it that there's some justice for the president of the United States to sit and watch the invasion and the insurrection and not say a word uh, because he knew that he had absolutely initiated it. And as some of them said, he invited us to come. We're here at the invitation mm. of the president of the United States. When he rallied, he said, go to the Capitol, fight hard. This is take back your country. And so if that's not uh, inciting uh, the kind of balance that, uh, violence that we have witnessed, I don't know what is. Now, I'm putting this back up to remind you of all the things these people said that were okay. Chrysler, Pelosi, Maxine Waters. I mean, she she is our violence. Get in their faces. But the media brings it back on that they're not culpable for any of the violence. Attempted murder survivor therapy group session where Dems reps talk about their lived experience experience and this is how the media covered it Scotty Wong lawmakers will share their personal stories of January 6th AOC will kick it off it's important to hear their experiences Democrats on the house floor sharing their feelings can't roll my eyes hard enough the fairy tale hour everybody's this is Oscar worthy um Michael Tracy 
AOC's on the floor of the House saying that anyone who questions the claim of survivors, because everyone in Congress is apparently a survivor now, is guilty of exasperating the trauma of all survivors everywhere in the country. Again, this is insanely manipulative. Pelosi gave AOC a special 60-minute order to allow space for members of Congress to publicly express their emotions and lived experiences on the floor of the House. And that's what's occurring. Dean Phillips is tearfully apologizing for AOC to previous failing to recognize his privilege. This is the business of the House of Representatives right now. Mark Tabot condemns those who have ought to gaslight AOC. Rashida Tlaib bawling. The first thing she said... We're going to impeach the motherfucker. But that's not violent rhetoric. No. Everybody's experience must be validated, says Cori Bush. AOC's voice is quivering as she concludes this bizarre group therapy session. She's excessively imported the language of self-confessional therapeutic moralism into the house with full support from Nancy fucking Pelosi. Reply, she's catering to her primary millennial fan base. Has Steve Scalise spoken yet he was shot by a bernie bro but it's just those goddamn trump people what the fuck i that's enough i i can't do it i just can't cory bush cory bush is a blm activist she hates cops she's just frying by bacon cnn john harwood the problem with republican warning the democrats will one day get the meeting treatment or majority Taylor Green treatment, is that no Democrat in Congress is remotely comparable to her. Replies, Ilian Omar. I don't know how we can make these claims when tweets like these are so easy to find. Ilian Omar, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Gaza. Correct. The anti-Semites on the Democrat side are far more evil, vicious, and deliberate. Somebody tweeted. We want it done now. We're gonna insist on it. If you now that's that's not bad. That's that's okay. Hmm. They brought up fucking Rashida Tlaib. They brought up Cory Bush. Priceler. And why we're in this different formation. Remember Eric Solwell? He's the one that fucked Fang Fang? Well, it seems he's been through some stuff we didn't even know about on top of all that. New York Magazine Washington correspondent Olivia Newsy got the scoop and BuzzFeed Ruby Kramer was kind enough to pass along. Olivia Newsy asked Eric Solwell about the attacks he got after being unwittingly linked to a Chinese spy and got this extremely depressing Washington story in return. Unwittingly linked. Hmm. In that interview with fucking Maxine Waters, he wants, they want him charged with premeditated murder. She told Democrats to physically assault people. Repeatedly. She said she wanted to punch him in the face. And then, of course, Ilian Omar's all butthurt because everybody's, now Republicans want to do what the Dems did. Because since now, it's now, once again, they keep lowering the bar. We can remove people from the other party. That was something that's never happened. But we're doing it now. Um, I spoke to Leader McCarthy this morning, and it's clear there's no alternative to a floor vote. 
on the resolution to remove Green from her committee assignment. The Rules Committee will meet this afternoon, and the House will vote on resolution. Ilian Omar, Republicans' desperate bad faith ploy to justify bigotry must be defeated. They cannot succeed in bullying their way out of accountability. That's why this vote matters. Biscuit salad. For some reason, the phrase, you just probably sit this one out, comes to mind. Hello, irony. The whole world, the things she has said has been vile. Vile. But they're good with it. They're good. Yeah. Then we got another NPR, Robert Greenier. We need to fight everybody in the country like uh, they're fucking Al-Qaeda. Another guy. Investigators struggle to build murder case in the death of U.S. Capitol. As I said, they don't even have anything. FBI did include a photo of naked man from the wood sitting on a bed meme and an affidavit. The picture right here. I didn't make this up. It's real. It surpassed 9-11, they say. But they put memes. We end on John Hayward and then we'll start some anti-GOP shit with the bumper. When you see a group of politicians as fanatic, fanatic to criminalize all challenges to legitimacy as the Biden Democrats, you can bet they're planning to massively abuse their power. You don't equate dissent with sedition unless you're expecting, expecting a lot of dissent. Questioning the legitimacy of authority is actually a healthy tendency. It's what they did for four years. It's what conservatives did, because they hated Trump. It's a primal human impulse. Who are you to tell me what to do? America was born from serious questions about the legitimacy of rule. A good system encourages such questions, confident it has solid answers. The problem is that American government long ago grew far beyond the boundaries of legitimacy envisioned by the Constitution. It does all sorts of things our founders would not have considered legitimate exercises of authority by their constitutional republic. The elegant discussion of legitimacy held by the American revolutionaries was replaced by the childish, simple, and utterly deceptive notion that anything a democracy does is legitimate because their people voted for these people. It's always the mandate argument. 50% of the country voted in these people, so we have the mandate to do what only 18% want. They can't be tyrants. We can vote them out of office, so as long as we're voting, we can't be tyrants. Is the worst intellectual swindle ever perpetrated upon free people. What's dangerous folly to think ballots are impenetrable shields against the abuse of power. The Democrats have been openly challenging the legitimacy of a Republican president for decades. It reached its apex under Trump, who was treated as semi-legit at best, Russia collusion, and told he could not exercise even the clearest power of his office. Impeachment theater last year was explicitly about the idea that Trump's authority to set foreign policy was less legitimate than the unelected career bureaucracy of the State Department witness were flabbergasted that he dared to contradict their policy. So when you see the Dems frantically criminalizing every challenge of legitimacy, every question about the election, every reservation about Biden's imperial executive orders, you know they're planning to abuse their office to the same degree they sought to limit Trump's. Notice the Dems are furiously rejecting any suggestion that the kind of power-sharing agreement they foisted on the hapless George W. Bush 
when they bullied him into thinking his election was semi-illegitimate. No reaching across the aisle or co-government this time. No siree. Cancel culture, intersectionality, the cry-bully movement, critical race theory, the toxic flumes emanating from campuses during the past generation are an effort to build new rationales with legitimacy of power. It's not about consent of the governed anymore. The new model of government taking shape in America and much of the Western world, managed democracy or limited authoritarianism, needs a new rationale for the legitimacy of power because its core tenet is that you don't get to vote against certain people or policies. Even that silly old chestnut of democracies can't be tyrannical no longer applies, not even as a thin pretense. After the Great Reset, you explicitly will not be allowed to vote against certain consensus elements of government. You won't be allowed to talk about them. In truth, a huge amount of government power and money has been placed beyond the reach of voters since the Great Society. But there was always at least the polite fiction that you could theoretically vote to change the system that pretended pretensed its ending. That's what all this is about. It was coming anyway. Much of it was done incrementally and stealthily over the past few decades, but now it's time for the new social contract to be openly imposed on the American people for their own good and the good of the earth, of course. The pandemic dramatically accelerated the rollout from every corner of power. The message is now clear. Your consent is no longer relevant. You're too foolish, short-sighted, racist, greedy, sexist, close-minded, and reactionary to be allowed to withdraw your consent. You're still allowed to discuss and vote against certain things, but the little protected playground of democracy is about to get a lot smaller. The core operating system of the state is no longer subject to your disapproval. You have no say at all in global affairs. And let's be honest, if you're no longer allowed to say no to certain things, what's the point of wasting the valuable time of your ruling class on some silly charade to persuade you to say yes? Consent of the governed is a silly fiction when the governed cannot refuse. That's why I started with Tucker. When you have fucking people that are working without warrants turning things in and then you read the time article that tucker craziness that big business is now in charge of our country sure comes into light and everything now from corporate to our media is you either believe the left or you're an enemy of the United States. We're live on MSNBC right now, sir. Talk about what this means in terms of your political future here. Is this an audition for 2020? How do you compare what you see here in Independence, Iowa, on the 4th of July to what's happening in Washington today? These folks are here to celebrate values. How many cups of coffee a day? Half. Yeah. Mr. Vice President, how are you doing? Good. Mr. President, you've been aspiring to this office for your whole career. What does this moment feel as you're about to walk into the West Wing? So there's also this. Larry Summers in the op-ed, Ben, does say that he made the mistake of not going big enough back when the Obama administration faced the, the massive recession 
and the housing crisis. Uh, talk to me now about the pushback that we are seeing from this White House on somebody who was a, a big part of the economic um, strategy the last time Joe Biden was in office. Yeah, I mean, Katie, and thank you for having me, and great to be on with Gene, who was in the White House with Larry during that period where the stimulus wound up being around $800 billion, and he and others have acknowledged that it wasn't big enough. I think it would be helpful if you could hear exactly what she told all of us, denouncing QAnon. I don't know if I say it right. I don't even know what it is. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Come on. Dumb. Dumb. Is Kevin. everyone doing that? Dumb. Kevin. Don't. Don't do that. I don't even know if I'm what saying is it? that right. I'm confused. How is Minority Leader Kevin Wait, no. McCarthy? Willie, come on, man. He said it the before knows. on He's tape. lying. <laughs> he, back back in August, he came out and condemned QAnon, said there's no place for QAnon in the Republican Party. He said it again and again, and not on background to reporters, on tape. Like at news gathering. So I don't know what he thinks yeah, he's doing there. How do they say in America, QAnon? I mean, you know, the thing is, I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking that, like, maybe Tommy Tuberville also took a trip down to Mar-a-Lago this past <laughs> week. Maybe they have, like, the dry needle therapy where they drain some of their, their no, brain just, out. Or no, someone's like going to believe that. Just leave it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's great. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> wow. but, so Tommy Tuberville is saying this is this is this is your Republican Party friends. Tommy Tuberville saying that he couldn't find out about this QAnon Republican lady because of uh, the snow. Uh, snow. The, I guess paper boy. And, you know, he's going to the Greyhound bus stop and the, the little kids got his head. He's going, get your extra, extra, get your extra Stop news here. Now. And he's like, he can't even see the little boy with a cap. And the, the little newsies. And so, yeah. Exactly. So he just gets on the gets on the bus and takes that 40 hour drive from the plains of Alabama to Washington. And now we got we got this. <laughs> What's dumb Kevin doing? Like, is that what you call it? <clears throat> it's like, Willie, they're not helping their case at all. It's like they just keep digging it deeper. Yeah, I, I don't know what he thought he was doing exactly there. He just had come out of the vote, right, where Liz Cheney was pretty resoundingly kept in her position as chairwoman of the GOP conference. The vote, secret ballot vote, was 145 to 61. So 145 Republicans said no. Liz Cheney, yep. she voted for impeachment, keep her in her job. Be interesting to see if right. he made that public how they'd vote. So he's coming out of that and he's trying to keep his conference together somehow. So he's making a nod toward QAnon. He's making a nod towards Liz Cheney. He's getting pulled in a couple, a couple different directions to hold the conference together, but he's also trying to have it both ways after a meeting where Marjorie Taylor Greene is reported to have received a standing ovation after making her remarks by oh some God. members of the caucus. Well, you know, of course, that's the lynching uh, caucus, uh, the, the lynching portion of the caucus, Mika, because this is, of course, a woman who called for the lynching of President Barack Obama, called for the lynching of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, told everybody to be just be calm. Take your time. Don't don't rush this, that if we do it right, we can lynch Barack Obama. This is what she said. And this is what your Republican Party uh, gave a standing ovation to last night. Some of them she did. said, if you if you just if you're just patient, we can actually lynch. We can kill 
Hillary Stop. Clinton. Okay. No, that's it's, what. I that, know, no, that's what they said. No, people like the need words. to know the truth. We. That's what. That's what she said. Yeah. And they're giving her a standing ovation. She called for the bullet in the brain of oh. the Speaker of the House, the assassination of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. That's what House Republicans gave a standing ovation to last night. She said that Jews, Jews, <laughs> come on, you can't compare these people to Nazis. That's wrong. Oh, how dare you? She said that Jews, Jews, the Jewish cobble was responsible for the wildfires in California because a Jewish laser was targeted in California and caused all. She said it was the Jews' fault. Now, my God, how could anybody draw parallels to Nazis? That woman got a standing well, some Republicans stood and clapped for her, and the issue is there are certain things you can't walk back, and we all know that. As we've backed into the news here... McCarthy would have you believe that he doesn't even know how to pronounce QAnon. Hmm. I think it would be helpful if you could hear exactly what she told all of us. Denouncing QAnon, I don't know if I say it right, I don't even know what it is, um... Any from the shootings, she said she knew nothing about lasers or all the different things that have been brought up about her. Okay, do uh, you believe that? No, you don't believe that. Of course, he doesn't believe that. Let's just give him that, that he, doesn't, he, he didn't know what it, what it is. So he has been saying for, what has it been, a week now or so, that he's going to have a conversation with Marjorie Taylor Greene. So if you're going to have a conversation with Marjorie Taylor Greene about what she said and her QAnon beliefs, don't you think you would know about it as the leader who's going to be having the conversation with her when you do your homework? Come on, Kevin McCarthy. Turnip truck didn't fall off yesterday. That is insulting. Think about that. I, I don't know who, what it is. If you are going to be the one who has to talk to this member and figure out what to do with her assignments because of her beliefs as a QAnon person, wouldn't you at least figure out what QAnon is? He knows. But he thinks you're stupid. Look, it's my argument to you that all of you have to worry about the GOP identity crisis, whether it's your party or not, or you're not about party. Why? Well, we have to know if this party is going to at least try to return to the likeness of Lincoln or continue to court forces that are more akin to the man that killed him. Because that's what these extremists and conspiracy cultists are about, animus and violence. For a party that is consumed with division, with defining us versus them, well, here's your chance. Us are those who live under the laws and intolerance of one another. This is them. Do you see them? Do you see what they did? This is the only them to worry about in American society. So as we watch a party in search for its soul, the answer is cloudy because we already know what the man to many of them pay fealty to, the former president, wants to come of them and of these people and from them. He is on trial for his incessant incitement, for the angry to take action. That's the case of incitement. 
for the angry to take action, to fight for the election to be overturned. And before anyone tries to make this about anything else, but what about this? What about the summer? Remember this. Remember what you're seeing. We have never seen anything like it. It is the worst, period. And they are our worst, period. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. He's going to be lying in state. He's going to be lying in a position of honor tonight at the U.S. Capitol. He valiantly fought an armed Trump mob nearly four weeks ago. His family arrived soon with his remains. Why is this the first commemoration tonight of January 6th? Back in 1988, we had two Capitol officers that died trying to stop a gunman. Everybody was on board then. Everybody talked about it and why its significance was so great. Not now. Why didn't the death of this officer cause the outrage in the GOP ranks of so many others? We on this show will not allow the Capitol attack to be forgotten. Yesterday, I tried to introduce an amendment to the rules in judiciary just to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And because I'm a minority member, a Republican, every Democrat voted against it, and we won't say the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of the Judiciary Committee. That's just demonstrative about the control that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats currently exert over this institution. You know what? I want to go just a little bit deeper on that. And, and we will come back to Representative Green, House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler, just so everybody catches up on what you're talking about. Slap down your request to begin each committee meeting with the Pledge of Allegiance. Here's what he said. It's unnecessary. The House uh, begins every day uh, with the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. We're covered by that. Um, there's no necessity to say the Pledge of Allegiance twice during the same day. <laughs> it's like the I, and the Daily like, Caller. One second, Congressman. The Daily Caller exclusively obtained this audio because I think you'll want to hear this, which Fox News has not independently verified. It appears to show House Democrats making fun of your Pledge of Allegiance request. Let's listen. I wake up in the morning and I pledge allegiance to the flag. I go outside regardless of the weather where I've got my flag up by my house and I pledge allegiance. And then I get on my knees and I pray. If I do that, am I, do I have to do, do I'm supposed to do it again? And how many times a day should I do that? I think you should do it at least every hour. I remember the first grade we had something like this. I remember, too. I remember on Fridays at 10 o'clock, we ducked below our desks because of the nuclear bomb. Right. Congressman Gates, your reaction. I mean, Harris, you wrote a book about being a military brat and about what patriotism means to the people who have to sacrifice the most. And so it is disheartening to hear my colleagues mocking and making fun of people who want to unify as much as we can and show that unity to the country just by saying the Pledge of Allegiance. It sounds like Jerry Nadler has the, like, I gave it the office approach to patriotism that, well, if you've said it once, that covers you. In these times when our country needs to see that Republicans and Democrats can do something together that we can come together in some ways. I just thought it would be a nice gesture before debating some admittedly divisive issues. Oh, that's a lot to unpack. We had the new promo from MSDNC. That's real news, Mr. President. Obama people being criticized for commenting about Biden. You have the whole morning Joe shit and QAnon, because that's the new thing now. I thought it was Proud Boys, but it's QAnon. And then you have Matt Guess. You know, they, they wouldn't do the Pledge of Allegiance. Because why? That's racist. It's all racist. One of the things on the Major Green thing that I just... 
Taylor Green literally accused Ilian Omar of marrying her brother. Stephen L. Miller. This is not some baseless thing pulled from the QAnon message boards. This is the Minneapolis Star. So we know that Daily Beast is talking about in the Slack channels. Anyway, while Fox News is equating Ilian Omar all about the Benjamins tweet to Majority Taylor's Green's extensive history of violent, bigoted, and conspiratory rhetoric, Green is out there this morning accusing Omar of marrying her brother. The entire media went crazy on that. But here's the problem. It's true. She married her brother so he could get a citizenship and then divorced him. That's from the Minneapolis Star. A liberal newspaper that was for the riots that destroyed their city. And to show how anti-conservative, clean sweep, Lloyd Austin dismisses all Pentagon advisory boards as stated they're doing the the stand down. And rooting out. Now understand, when I was in the military before I went to fucking Afghanistan, one of the prerequisites for a platoon sergeant, because they weren't doing it in basic, but they had implemented it in basic, because that was the last time the left said that all of the military, every soldier who they fucking hate, soldiers, airmen, doesn't matter. If you're in the military, you're a piece of fucking shit, low skill set, fucking loser. We had a check for tats. If you have a Nazi symbol, you're not getting in the military. That's 20 years ago. So because some people got shot in the face of the Capitol and murdered by police, disarmed, which is supposed to be a problem in our country, but she's white, fuck it, it doesn't matter. Now we've stood it down, and he is basically turning it into intersectionality. Good luck winning wars. CNN strategic communication exec tries to flunk Fox. MSM reporters disagree. Matt Dormick, after all these years of covering CNN, Brian still has to, know, has to troll LinkedIn for anonymous quotes from employees of literally any department to use in his hit pieces. We've been forwarded over a dozen of these in the past 24 hours. Washington Post media columnist Eric Wemple, a routine basher of Fox, was the first Dominic critic I found on Twitter. I have to disagree with this sentiment here. Brian's flood is doing what many reporters, myself included, do, trying to craft an appeal to sources. He added, now I have a massive problem with Fox News for sure, but I think it's best not to blast a reporter for sending out a 100% legit attempt to gather sources. Don't controversize reporting. Now, I cover that. It's inside baseball. If you do that for a person in the Biden administration, that will not be good. Because remember, we just went through the anonymous source dick dance in a press conference. In a press fucking conference. Someone is feeling nostalgic and blue about the departure of the prior president. And note, not one above the fold mention of the current Oval Office occupants, like media outlets, know he generates no interest and thus needs new villains. Get me another article on Majority Green. That's the New York Times. That's why I won't read it. When people send me links from it, I won't read it. It's not a news source. It's not because I'm a fucking conservative purist. It's not... I, 
when you change your titles and articles because of Twitter mobs, you're not news. Tom Cotton was the tip of the iceberg. For five years on this podcast, I've been reporting of Twitter mobs getting mad at the New York Times and them going back and changing articles. Getting rid of articles because those articles were critical of the Democrats. Blue check ER doc tries deleting repugnant tweet about letting massless people die. Uh, This one's out of order. I'll read it anyway. Noam Bloom, very normal tweet from an ER doctor who fights for humanity. Naples, Florida, let him die. I'm so tired of these people. No vaccines for you all. Ah, fuck it. Let's just do the COVID and we'll come back to the we fucking hate conservatives shit. Here's a- We all fantasize about a time when we won't have to wear the masks anymore. It's not now. But some at a supermarket in Florida appear to have decided that the time is now. Look at this. This was the scene at Oaks Farm Seed and to Table Market in Naples today. NBC's Sam Brock took this video, which went viral. It looks like it was taken pre-pandemic, right? Most customers and employees not wearing masks at all. The store's policy includes mask exemption guidelines. The sign says if you have a medical condition that you don't have to wear a mask and nobody inside will ask about medical conditions, so masks are not enforced. The owner told Sam Brock this when questioned about the policy. Is yeah. your position then about medical exemptions or is it about the fact that you don't think masks work and that the virus well, is not a real thing? I know that the masks don't work and I know that the virus has not, has not killed 400,000 people in this country. That's total hogwash. Florida does not have a mask mandate, but masks do work. The science is crystal clear. In July, the CDC director said the United States could get COVID under control in four to eight weeks if we would only all wear masks. I should just point out that even though the virus in this particular variant was first described in South Africa, it actually might not have even emanated from South Africa. So it's inappropriate to call it the South African variant. It's better just to call it by its name, 501YV2. And we now know that's in about 31 countries. No, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. And I don't mean to disparage South Africa. It's just a, a, a handy shorthand. But I know that you that doctors don't like that when we give a geographic um, origin because we don't know that to be true. But but in terms of the 501YV2 I hope, variant. Um, Is it resistant to the existing vaccines? Do we know that? Shep Smith not understanding that every part of this country is different. Hey, listen, I wear masks. I wear gloves. I have, I've been disinfecting every time I walk out of a fucking store and we still disinfect our groceries. But that's what I choose to do. What you choose to do is up to you. I'm in a state right now with no mandatory mask mandate. It's just not there. I still wear a mask. And because spring's coming, I broke out my N95s. What will happen is some liberal not in a mask. You know, I'm putting Vicks on my nose because I'm boogery as hell today. I got allergies. Um, Some person usually not in a mask will say, well, that's supposed to be for healthcare workers. But I already had them prior to the pandemic because I wear them for allergies. I can't get a doctor's appointment because of COVID to get seen for my allergies because nothing works. I'm getting old. 
I actually got disability for it because they know they fucked us up with burn piles. But let's go into the, the COVID stuff. Then we'll go back to hating on Republicans because we do a lot of it. Daily Mail report about what happened with COVID-19 since around inauguration. Disclosed TV. What election can do. Why are coronavirus cases falling in the U.S. with 44% drop? Just in, the COVID-19 infection rates are down 44% in the U.S. and 30% globally in the last three weeks. WHO experts are baffled about the phenomenon. Didn't they change the testing guidelines right after inauguration? The president changed so they could change the way they count cases. Hmm. Does nobody remember what they changed the testing protocol and lowered the cycle threshold for the PCR test on January 20th? I'm done. Couldn't possibly be that Biden was inaugurated on the 20th, followed by the WHO suggesting the PCR tests are invalid at the current cycle, or that people are just starting to see through the crap and not get tested. But there's more Chep Smith than normal people out here. Politico. What if an app could take you back to normal life or at least take you to a restaurant? It's not a time machine. Tech companies are working on tech to verify who's gotten a vaccine. Sort of that passport. They want the passport back. Remember, they, they, without your consent, put it on your phone. Luckily, I had a Google phone, and that was with the built-in nothing turns on unless I tell it to. But they were already trying to track you. They were already tracking and tracing you. And hey... If this was for real pandemic that was killing everybody, I would be all for that. But it's not. It's the flu. It's age group specific. And these same people don't even want to give those old people the fucking vaccination. Party of Science member Sherrod Brown shames Rand Paul, who had COVID last year, for not wearing a mask on a Senate floor. He did it again because he's the, the mask complete, but he already had COVID. You're not a carrier once you heal from you, dipshit. Shameful threat on tone-deaf Minnesota senator. I listened in on a Zoom parents meeting with Minnesota DFL senator tonight. The topic was school. Not going to name the district or the legislator. I was a guest, and that's their business. The thing I will tell you, however, bad, sad, depressing, I thought it would be, it was worse. Let me start by saying this is a wealthy district, maybe one of the top five in the state. The parents are almost all white professional. To be honest, I almost discounted it. I thought, they're fine. It should be worrying about the families in the real world. There were parents who said they never seen their kids dark or hopeless or unhappy. And I believe it. Their suburb is in Shangri-La, Minnesota, to last year. They described girls who hid in their rooms and cried and boys falling apart so far behind they might never catch up. Over and over, because they were nice people, they acknowledged how lucky they are. They said they have money for tutors and electronics, and they've worried about families that didn't. I believe them. They were measuring their situation against people with less than. And this has got to be a blue district. Still, what surprised me is how money didn't make this okay. These parents looked terrified. Two of the fathers cried. One turned off his video because he could not keep it together. Two of the moms had outbursts. All I could blame them. Everything they said was true. They said our state is way behind not just the world but the country. That we've denied children a decent education for a year. 
They said the kids are not at risk for COVID. They pointed out that teachers are less likely to be infected in the classroom than the community. They talked about the suicidal kids, their own and others. They talked about promising athletes who couldn't play sports, said their kids are being sacrificed. A teen who looked to be about 15 spoke. She was eloquent and clear and intensely respectful. She started sobbing halfway through. Then, oh my God, that's true. She talked about the trade-offs and the fact that other businesses also had to deal with shutdowns. Someone reminded her that school wasn't supposed to be a business. At this point, she pivoted, and for reason, I will never understand, start talking about how she herself had to go to the Capitol because she was a public servant, and there were certain partisan senators refusing to wear a mask. I screamed at this point. Luckily, it was on mute. I want to be clear. She was an unwinnable spot and probably had no control over teachers' unions. But again, and again, the rhetoric was around safety and infection variant systems. There was never a moment when she... Veil slipped and really got it or gave it its due. The parents were remarkably controlled. They thanked her for her time, but in the end, she didn't give two fucks. Military. You have to wear your mask everywhere now. Senate Dems block amendment to ensure accurate reporting of COVID-19 deaths and re- Retirement homes. The Senate is now voting on the Senator Scott Amendment 53 to establish a deficit-neutral reserve fund related to ensuring the accurate reporting of COVID-19 related deaths. Not adopting 50-50 Scott 53 rule ensures accurate reporting of COVID deaths in relation to Senator Scott's Sanders budget resolution. Democrat budget doesn't deal with COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes. Republican one answers. Scott offered an amendment to hold governors like Cuomo accountable for underreporting and covering up COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes. Senate Democrats blocked it, and because simultaneously we're reporting again, because Trump's not there. This week, COVID-19 killed 14% of New York nursing home population. Following the Cuomo numbers, Carol Markowitz, not a conservative, destroying him. New York Times thread, analyzing Governor Cuomo's shutdown science, reinforces impression it's been entirely political. Government, this is the New York Times. Cuomo of New York said on Friday that New York City would reopen indoor dining on February 14th, but by nearly every measure, the coronavirus outbreak in the city is worse than it was when he announced a ban on indoor dining in December. As the governor spoke on Friday, citing the current trajectory of cases as his reasoning for reopening, average per capita case counts in New York City were 64% higher than the bans in December. Average COVID-19 hospitalization in the city, while trending downward, were still 60% higher than December. A member of the governor's COVID-19 task force said their important metrics are not where the numbers are, but where they are headed and the trends. Mr. Cuomo suggests test positivity rates for New York City had fallen by 30%, showing a chart depicting a drop, but using data points chosen from daily swings. They're cooking the numbers. But no disinformation. 
Simultaneously, PolitiFact Editor-in-Chief calls to save America by censoring free speech. Bill Crystal, conservatives now need to stand athwart conservatism, yelling stop because it's the only way to conserve conservatism. Oliver Darko, more than three years ago, AOC basically predicted the moral downward of the GOP, but now she's offended that her own prediction is coming true. Life comes at you fast. A.O. Alexander DeSantis. Was that wrong? Oh, it was Alexander DeSantis. I'm sorry. Surprisingly, exactly no one, the Bulwark folks, were verse quick to retweet this inconsistency of mine. I defy you to take a look at their site and distinguish it from any other liberal outlet. How fleeting were the days of conserving conservatism. Bill Crystal. Conservatives shouldn't defend whatever calls itself conservatism. It isn't no longer worth defending. That's why conservatives now need to stand athwart conservatism, yelling stop at a time when no one is inclined to do so or to have much patience with those who so urge it. Her response, which has been my response, so I guess I'm not a kook after all. My favorite way to defend conservatism is by becoming a progressive. Stephen Miller Conservatives need to stop being conservative in the name of conservatism, said the person who runs a website titled Conservatism Conserved. CNN, fact checker. Fact check. I have not once discounted your fear. We were all terrified that day. I'm stating the fact that insurrections were never in our hallway because they weren't. I deal in facts, unlike you, apparently. Nancy Mace to AOC. Daniel Dale, CNN. This is false fact check. AOC didn't say insurrections were in their hallway. She said she was generally scared about what was going on and specifically scared by Capitol Police officer who seemed angry and hadn't made clear he was with law enforcement. There's your CNN putting their thumbs on the scale. Fuck off already, white people. Sick and blue check lefty writer hasn't forgotten how you enslaved and murdered whole continents. Who is this person? Umar Hask writes a lot about economics and capitalism being bad. But there's so much more to them than that. What do I do with people? I help them live more fulfilling lives. Why? Because that's exactly what my improbable windings way taught me. I've been through a lot and not just survived or thrived. All that's beside the real point. What, which is that I learned a few things along my improbable way about what it really means to be fully, fully, searingly alive. His tweet. These are on Twitter all the time. They're not deemed inappropriate. Fuck off already, white people. You enslaved and murdered whole continents. You have yet to make any amends, and even the good ones among pretend that's okay. We are still living in the world, and it makes the rest of us so, so sick and weary and disgusted with you. You're a white person. Which brings me to our This is America. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Yeah, this is America. 
this bizarre trend in evangelical Christianity to reduce Jesus's entire message to abortion. It's 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 just not there. Read the red letters. Yes. I mean, I'm saying this is somebody who voted pro-life all the time, but you cannot reduce Jesus's ministry to that. And yet, Mika, you have one preacher after another preacher after another preacher selling their entire congregations out. A lot of them just to touch the cloak, not of a holy man, but just to touch the cloak of a failed reality TV host who is the antithesis of everything they preached their entire lives. How do I know this? Because mm-hmm. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. It just shows the hypocrisy of religious leaders who kowtowed to this, to, to this false prophet just to have a little glimpse of power. But you did things like take smiling pictures with Candace Owens, who I think is very hurtful. Okay, do you not regret that? Do you not see that you're giving her legitimacy? You don't regret taking pictures, uh, smiling pictures with Candace Owens. I I mean, how does that help the issue? Anna, You're going to have to take it outside. Thanks to Van Jones, the United, the reunited states will be streaming and on demand starting February 9th. For more information on the documentary and for resources on how to foster these conversations in your own community, you can visit our website. Van, take a nap. We'll be right back. On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, is that the, an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Uh, I negotiated the Paris Accords uh, for the United States. I've been involved in this fight for years. I negotiated with President Xi to bring President Xi to the table so we could get Paris. And uh, I believe the time it takes me to get somewhere. I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. But what I'm doing almost full time is working to win the battle of climate change. And in the end, uh, if I offset and contribute my life to do this, uh, I'm not going to be put on the defensive. That's one more thing. And I want to say it very clearly on this, be very clear on this point. It's better economics it not only addresses the immediate crisis we're in, it's better for the long-term economic health of our nation and our competitiveness. My plan creates more jobs, creates more economic growth, and does more to make us competitive with the rest of the world than any other plan. Don't take my word for it. Just look at what leading economists across the nation have said and in the world and, and, across, the, and across the ocean have said. Wall Street investment firm Moody says, if we pass the American Rescue Plan, it will lead to four million more jobs than otherwise would be created. The nonpartisan Brookings Institution has looked at the Rescue American Rescue Plan and said the GDP will reach pre-pandemic projections by 2021, meaning we'll have recovered by the end of 2021. Much sooner, by the way, than if we do nothing. There you got Joe Scarborough once again, attacking fucking Christians. You know, you attack Christians, vets, gun owners, 
white people, people with beard, you dip Copenhagen, you got, it's just, you know, camouflage, it's, it's, it's what we do. And then like that tweet, and that's why I flipped over to it, you have a white person lecturing Van Jones, a person who's a truther, believes George Bush blew up the World Trade Center, him and Cheney are up there low crawling at night, wiring it in, it could happen. But they have the gall to lecture a black man. That's the thing I don't understand about African Americans or black people or whatever the fuck we're calling them now. Because I'm sure race is going to be a social construct pretty soon. Liberal white people are going to say they're black now. Who the fuck? Why would you listen to white people telling you about your blackness? Why wouldn't you crush that fucking wildebeest? Who the fuck is she to tell him? He worked with Trump to make a criminal reform bill. There was nothing wrong with that bill. No other Republican had done it, but we never even talk about what he did. We just talk he's bad. We had to save democracy, so everybody got together and rigged an election. Got it. Good work. Now they're bragging about it. But you're a conspiracy theorist. Remember that. And then we got the climate czar. Now, they have taken everything with climate and with intersectionality and you attach it to race so that we can tell people you're a fucking racist if you don't believe that when I turn my electricity on or like turn the heat up, as I joke with my wife, I'm killing black people. I mean, that's the most racist shit ever. I say it all the time, but it's just the most absurd concept that black people don't have electricity, black people don't have cars, black people don't burn anything. They have nothing to do with climate change because they're poor. Or unable. I don't know. It's just bizarre. It's so fucking bizarre that they can get away with that shit. But they already have it. It's called climate denial. Now, once again, I'm not a climate denialist, just like I'm not a COVID denialist. I just believe you should be able to live your life the way you want to live it. And you don't want to wear a fucking mask, you don't wear a mask. With climate, I believe there's been climate change. I've been to Oregon. I talked about it on the podcast. I drove to Sacramento to Portland. And the change... Some of it deforestation. It turned into Colorado Prairie down there. It was really bizarre. But we're already ahead of the curve. Excuse me. Our emissions have really changed our output. And every non-biased scientist has said there's little we're going to do for the 1% or 1 degree. It's going to happen. We need to continue at our current rate. But they, no, they attach it to you're a racist and you're killing black people if you fucking have a Jeep. And every plan they put out is more political than about the climate. It's a politics. It's a chicken, a pot, a window to piss in or piss out. Everybody has a house. Everybody has a job. Green New Deal. It's what they want to do. And that has nothing to do with climate. We're going to create a whole bunch of jobs as we destroy all the jobs. But the biggest hypocrisy is every one of these people fly private jets and here and carry flip-flop around you know if he was a swift boat he would have been the greatest protester i mean hero president we ever had and then biden we still don't know what's in that 1.9 trillion and if that's all he can talk about it my fucking god he doesn't know either we are living in a new world like our last podcast. If you're a Democrat, you don't have to explain your views on anything. You'll find out when you get elected and every bill will be the Affordable Care Act. 
will know what's in the bill once we approve it. And if you don't approve it, and if you don't vote for it, you're anti-American racist seditionist. Gotcha. Then we have this one. In the Oval with Democrats, President Biden comments on the grim job report, saying, at this rate, it would take 10 years before we could get to full employment. That's not hyperbole. That's a fact. We can't do we can't do too much here. We can do too little. We can do too little and sputter. First squawk. U.S. President Biden says we'll take 10 years to get to full employment at current pace. Now there's a leader. Nothing like throwing up your hands after you killed thousands of jobs in your first two weeks. Maybe stop with the policies that kill jobs. That's what happens when you shut down the economy unnecessary and kill good energy jobs. We have gone from I'll fox this I'll fox the fix this quickly to yeah nah we can't really do anything. Goalposts haven't been moved. They've been taken down. Thanks, Bill Crystal. Mona Sharon, Charles Sykes, Steve Schmidt, George Conway, Mike Madrid, Reed Gallen, and all the writers at the bulwark. Man, this job report sucks. Maybe sign a few more job-killing executive orders will help it. Wait, he signs executive orders gutting our energy industry? Wait until the finds out that his tax increases will do to unemployment. No more tweets, though. Thank goodness Pappy is importing more refugees and opening the southern border. No COVID plan, no jobs plan, just destroy existing jobs. The fool who voted for him believe his lies because of hate for Trump. It goes on. I could keep reading it, but that's... He was supposed to be God, we were told by the media. Bill Crystal, Steve Schmidt... Joe Scarborough, this guy is going to fix everything. He's just doing this. Fuck it. And then we have this one. Facebook bans Second Amendment group without explanation because it's time to kill guns. And I've been sitting on this soundbite. I'm going to play it. Governor Ron DeSantis joins us tonight to explain this. Governor, thanks so much for coming on. Did, did we characterize that correctly, what this law would do? Yeah, and it's more than that. I mean, I think that we're going to do three different uh, things. One is protect Floridians' data privacy from big tech, which oh. is a huge issue. As you said, protect big tech from interfering in an election. And that may mean you, displ- you deplatform a candidate you don't like. Uh, two guesses as to which type of candidate big tech wouldn't like. Uh, but it also means uh, uh, doing the algorithms in a way that will suppress stories or accelerate them to benefit a candidate. That's effectively an in-kind contribution. And then the general protections for deplatforming users. And what we're allowing people to do is bring civil suits under the Florida Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Statute and Anti-Fraud Statute, and also allowing the state attorney general to do that as well if big tech is not applying their terms of service in a, in a coherent and principled way, which they almost never do. So we think that this is something that Floridians want protection from, and I think it'll end up being a really good first step. I mean, there's always been the question, what do you do about this? I think a lot of us have thought there was something wrong yes. for a long time, uh, but to just just sit back and hope it gets better. That clearly wasn't going to work. So we're leading and I think it'll be good. Well, no one has done anything. This is the first example of this that we have seen in this country. I know in Eastern Europe it's been tried. Who is opposed to this? We would love to know their names. 
<laughs> well, stay tuned, Tucker. Is this going to be a big fight in the legislative session? Hopefully, we'll be able to get a lot of support. I think most folks do want protections for their privacy and their yes. data. I think most folks want protections from being deplatformed. And it's not just being banned from Twitter or something. As we've seen, these, these companies can act, they can collude. They can deny you, if you're a small business, of payment processing, of right. the ability to use email and text. So what, you go to a rally that they don't like or you engage in wrong think, and all of a sudden your flower business is decapitated for, for a month because they take action. So I think we're go we've gone down a dangerous path on this. This provides protections for individual Floridians, and I think it'll be very positively received. But we're buckled, we're buckled up, Tucker. We know that there's always fights over these things, uh, so stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, this really does set the standard for the rest of the country. It'll be fascinating to see who comes out of the woodwork to oppose it. Very quickly, can if Florida, if you get this through the legislature in Florida, will it have implications for the rest of the country? I think it will, because what we found, Tucker, is when Florida leads, then other states start following. Uh, so I think you will see other legislatures uh, follow suit. Um, but I also think it's just a situation where we're a very mobile society. I mean, Florida laws may actually have uh, 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 an effect on folks who, who are visiting here all the time. So I think it's going to be uh, it's going to have an effect one way or another beyond our borders. Maybe there's a reason people are moving to Florida. Just a guess. Governor Santos, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you. You know, I've read a lot of comments specifically from never Trump conservatives on this on Twitter. You want censorship, I guess, because I think that might be pie in the sky, but that's how we start fighting back. Once again, I understand your fear of QAnon and Proud Boys and the entire military is just a bunch of seditionists. Got it. But that's not who they're censoring. Those accounts were already getting censored. They said violent shit. They got taken out. They are doing what Sandy Cortez says they're doing. They're reporting everybody. I mean, that Don Winslow article, my God, those people are everywhere reporting people. Anything the right says that could be construed as violent rhetoric is taken the fuck down. We end on a positive. Jim Garrity compiles greatest hit list of some of the media's biggest unsolved mysteries the last couple years. But the fun part of today's morning jolt is going back two years in a series of unsolved mysteries in the news. Hilarious thread, Tom Elliott. For example, remember that January 2019 BuzzFeed story claiming that President Trump directed his longtime attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about negotiations to build a Trump Tower in Moscow? I remember that. Turns out it wasn't true. The Mueller report out a few months later declared the evidence to us does not establish the president directed or aided Cohen's false testimony. Remember that McClatchy wire service story the Justice Department special counsel had evidence that Michael Cohen secretly made late summer trips to Prague during 2016. Turns out that wasn't true either. The Mueller report dispelled the claim, but in all time, just take the L already champion. McClatchley somehow still insisted the reporting is accurate and that Cohn's phone went to Prague, but he didn't. The phone did. I want to remind you that Hillary was over there, but we never sent any interference. 
The follow-up on Jesse Smollett implausible claim was better covered, but you may not know Smollett's argument of double jeopardy was rejected, and he's due back in court in March. On number four, not only did Joy Reid never catch the hacker, subsequent reporting suggested that portions of Reid's response was untruthful. She'll be teaching journalism at Howard University this spring. On number five, not only did June Julie provide any corroborating witnesses for a tale of weekly Georgetown rape parties, it is as if she'd been airbrushed out of history since. Number six, maybe the most surprising update of all, Al Sharpton has paid back $2.1 million of 2.8 taxes he owes. Still has a show, by the way. Number seven, no one ever identified who threatened Stormy Daniels, despite many jokes that the perpetrator would be starting at quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number eight, Roy Moore never raised anywhere near $1 million or more needed for the recount. His Senate website is no longer online. The most recent item on Moore's personal website is from 2020, April. Number nine, Jamal Khashoggi's relationship with the Qatar Foundation International and talks with the Saudi government about establishing a think tank garnered almost no attention beyond that brief mention in a post story. Ooh, I shouldn't post. Number 10, August 2019, about a half a year after Gillette controversial Men Need to Do Better web ad, Procter & Gamble announced that Gillette had declined in value by $8 billion over 14 years. And I'm going to start covering the morning jolt. I'm going to start covering it. Because there's thousands of those articles just floating out there that we were told were facts. We're real news, Mr. President. And they were all false. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Get everything at foppodcast.com. If you're a purist, you still go to SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, blah, blah, blah. Remember to check out the Twitter account at FopTonyReed. Once again, I don't tweet a lot. I retweet people's stuff because I'm trying to keep a social media platform for the show because they're just suspending everybody left and right. Um, the next show we're going to do will be Wednesday, and that will be the uh, 10th. A February year of our Lord 2021. As always, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the fucking yeah, yeah. Spend some time in the family. As you're seeing, you don't hear the heater right now because I turned some stuff around down here. And I actually have some heat. Took a bathroom register in our kitchen one that was by the back door and we never had on anyway. It's a little warmer in the basement because on the other side of these walls right here, we actually have a room now with a viewing and big screen TV, the whole nine yards. So it was an old TV we had, and we put it up. And today we're going to watch Karate Kid. Yeah, that's some old school bad movie. Mom will fall asleep. It's cool, but we'll bring the puppies down. It'll be a good time. Had some comments at foppodcast.com about all this shit on my wall. So uh, I'll just do a couple each podcast. This is new. It's from Combat Coco from BRCC. We were actually getting a black black rifle coffee here i was gonna go apply but all the jobs are taken so that was pretty damn quick um and i don't know if i really wanted to work there or not because the store manager is called the store commander yeah kind of left that stuff when i got out of the military so that's kind of cool my little helicopters that's the regiment i was in uh that's it i was do a few at a time of little things the troll somebody asked about this I got that from my kids like in 1990, and I carried it with me in the military. It was always in an extra ammo pouch on my LBE, 
And he went to combat, Korea, everywhere I went, that little dude went. So he's pretty fucked up. His hair is just trashed. But he was my lucky troll. I used to drive with him. It became an OCD. I mean, I really needed him with me because he was good luck. When I would drive for U.S. Calvary, I had to have my troll in the car. So silly. But some things in life become important to you. And you, you, you need them. And that was my little buddy. So, as always, my friends, I really thank you for listening. I hope that the video is becoming something you kind of enjoy. If not, I still see SoundCloud listens are about the same. And I appreciate it. But please get the word out. Pass it to other people. And let's expand the viewership. Take care, my friends. Talk to you Wednesday.